What's good, anybody out there? This is your friendly Crimson Stain, and welcome to episode two of the Grave Wax Podcast. I can't believe it. It's already episode two, and I, I haven't quit yet, so what an achievement for me. I like to thank everybody who's uh, checked out episode one so far. So far, it's been going pretty good. I'd like to give a special thanks to Lee from the Welcome to Horror podcast, who left a really nice, uh, encouraging comment on the Instagram about the first episode, so thank you. And I'd also like to give one other shout out to the Radiodrome podcast because they were the ones who uh, were advertising or promoting uh, this Anchor FM in the first place on their show, which is so far has been a really cool uh, place to uh, upload podcasts for free. So, hey, so far it's working out. So I recommend it. Uh, so always check out Radiodrome with their interesting topics and also check out Welcome to Horror. Now, the movie we've got for you today, I think it's a really good one. And I really want to like do all the cheesy movies, all the fun movies, uh, Italian zombie movies, slasher movies, jallos and whatnot. I want to get to them all. But I wanted to also do like a lot of different types of films as well. And I thought, you know, let's let's hit something drastically different than what our normal uh, comfort zone is. And and this is a 90s movie, which... I don't, I don't want to say I neglect the 90s. I do have a lot of 90s movies in my collections, but they, they don't get the attention or the, you know, I don't rewatch them as much as I do stuff from the 80s or the 70s. Or weirdly enough, from like 1930 to 33, those pre-code movies, they're all good as well. But this one is from 1993. I think these come, these kind of movies come in the wake of the success of Basic Instinct. There are all these erotic thrillers, which are, most of them were god-awful but sometimes you really hit pay dirt. And there was this movie I'd heard about. Uh, it was always like this troubled production. There was all these lawsuits around it and everything, and it was supposed to be this crazy movie about a doctor who cuts up a woman. And it was called Boxing Helena. And everybody was just so horrified at the very topic that this movie was daring to uh, put on the screen. And it never really got a huge release. It was never at any of the rental stores I went to. I guess they were a bit more tame. And, of course, the it basically had zero theater life as far as I knew. I I wasn't never had a chance to see it. But I'd always, you know, in the back of my mind, I was always knew about this movie Boxing Helena that was supposed to be really crazy. And, you know, years go by, I kind of, like, don't even think about it got a DVD release. I never even thought to pick it up at the time. And uh, I, and it, what really piqued my interest in it was years ago when I got the Twin Peaks gold DVD box set. And of course, Audrey Horn was one of my favorite characters. And then after that, I found in the clearance bin this movie called Two Moon Junction, which also, ha- also had Sherilyn Finn. And so I was like, oh, this is, this is amazing. She's amazing. I got to get all the Sherilyn Finn movies. And then I realized, oh, Boxing Helena, that's that crazy movie, is one of her movies. So uh, I was able to find the DVD. It was out of print, but it was only like eight or nine dollars on uh, Amazon Marketplace. And this movie really paid off. This was a, a great find. And I don't know if a lot of people know this movie. There's not a whole lot of talk about it, or people don't post about it a whole lot. But it is truly crazy. So spoiler alerts notwithstanding, I'd love to. Uh, you know, give this movie a little bit more exposure, maybe put it into the cycle of uh, crazy movies that everyone talks about and memes about. And I'll, I'll do my my small part to uh, get it out there. Okay, so the cold open 
it's this very useful compact memory that our main character is, is going through and he's at a he's at his parents party in this giant mansion and there's this song playing it's uh, you're nobody till somebody loves you and it's uh, it couldn't be more appropriate in fact it's like this movie is like this dark adaptation of that song and you it's like dean martin you you were really dark you're really uh, not uh, focusing on the the horror inherent in, in these lyrics but uh so this young kid he gets immediately just rejected by his dad his dad's like get out of here and then there's a stranger telling him you know what your only chance is to grow up you got to be a doctor when you grow up otherwise you got no chance and then just a little cherry on top uh, his mom is coming out of another room with another man and so his mom's a whore and then the title comes up over this shot of the venus de milo boxing helena so all your themes all your motivations your very tightly packed in this one very sad opening uh, cold open which then it immediately cuts to a coffin being lowered and it's his mom and you know this guy at this point you can only imagine what he's been through because he just throws the flowers down and he just starts walking away from the funeral before the casket's even lowered um and he's he checks in with the hospital on his car phone he's got this uh, nice little bmw coupe and I guess he listened to that stranger's advice because he is a doctor. In fact, he's a head, the head surgeon at this hospital, and uh, he's got this—he got this call to come in and reattach a boy's hand. So again, it's like uh, super symbolic. And he's so he's at the hospital. This—he's—he's he's a wunderkind of uh, surgery, and this—the surgery is a success with this this kid's hand. And we notice that it's Clarence Boddicker, Red Foreman himself. It's Kurtwood Smith who was in a lot of these great 90s uh, uh, sexploitation movies like The Crush. He's always uh, turning up in these movies. And he's like a, a rival surgeon. And he's like really annoyed that uh, Nick's uh, here. Dr. Nick. His name's Dr. Nick, for, for Christ's sake. He's uh, really annoyed that Dr. Nick is uh, he's coming into work even on the day of his mom's funeral. It's like, take a day off. I need to get away from you. But... Uh, Otherwise, it's just a normal, typical day for this guy. And there's one really funny thing that happens. Someone gives him a Diet Coke, and he, like, wipes the top of it. And it's like, okay, that, I think that's the smartest thing this guy does this whole movie. Um, and we're now moving to the mansion. So he's just inherited that mansion from the party. Um, so he's he's going through it. He's kind of wistfully and melancholically just kind of looking around. He looks at his mom's pictures in the frames, and he's having these very concrete flashbacks of his mom being just a real nightmare. It's like, you know, she's like naked asking, were you watching me? And then, you know, this is, uh, this is definitely a setup for something pretty bad. So he ends up going to Otto's, which is this bar, and he's going to meet his friend Larry at this bar, and guess what? It's Art Garfunkel. Yes, this movie just got even better. Uh, and at this point, Garfunkel, he's got Dilbert's boss's hair, and uh, and they're just, you know, saying, hey, what's going on? Uh, sorry about your mom's funeral and everything. And then Nick sees Helena, and he freaks out like she's like a murderer. And he's like, I got to get out of here. He's being very, very dramatic about it. So he bolts. And uh, he ends up calling his girl at a, at a payphone. This is this is a very payphone-heavy 
uh, movie. There's a lot of payphones in this, and it really just reminds you of the time before, the time before all this uh, complicated nonsense we now have going on with ourselves. As I'm as I'm speaking into a phone, I'm saying this. Um, but anyway, he's setting up dinner, and and she's gonna meet him at the new place. And I, I gotta have we gotta talk about this girl. This girl's name is Anne, and she's played as being like this faithful, long-suffering, very good girl. And she's also like a fellow doctor, and of course she's an actress. She's very beautiful, and you would think, oh, this is just the perfect woman. And you, that's kind of on the surface the way it is. But this movie, it it really invites you to ask, well, is this the, the people's apparent motivations? There's you can read a lot more into it and read further, further down, depending on how cynical you are. And with this Anne character, she's one of the most interesting because she is portrayed as so constant and good. But you got to be wondering, like, well, is she just with this guy? I mean, personally, how how could you really love this guy? He's, as you'll soon see, I'm not trying to be mean, but he is just like a very unlikable person to me. <laughs> it's it's amusingly so, like he's very entertaining. Uh, but you've got to wonder, is she just basically playing the part? Because you know he's got he's got all the check marks of uh, being the rich doctor. He's got the mansion, like he's going to have like someone there, but you would figure like with him being so weak willed that the girlfriend would be constantly just kind of manipulating him, not necessarily even maliciously, but just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to steer this ship and of this relationship. And we don't really get that with Anne. We don't really see that. I mean, but she could just be playing such a deep role that her will is just being enacted in all these very hidden uh, ways. But, it never really develops. It's it, we, we're going to really focus on the uh, the cutting up uh, of a woman part of the movie, but that's it. That's an interesting side note. I'll say that. So whenever I see her like setting up this dinner and being all nice, I think you know what, Nick? Let's just let's just cancel this bonkers movie and you just have a really nice relationship with this woman and maybe get some help and uh, you work things all out. But, you know, he never takes us up on that offer. He just goes about with this. And I guess I guess it's good because it starts getting really good uh, after this one thing where he, he wants to go jogging before uh, he has dinner with his girlfriend. So he goes out jogging, and what do you know? Lo and behold, he just happens to jog over to Helena's house. Uh, he just happens to climb a tree up to <laughs> look in her window. And, man... When we get this, this is uh, this is too much. This is great. Helena's bedroom is just full-on goth video paradise. It's got the flowing satin curtains. There's like a thousand candles burning. She is either waiting for Dracula or Michael Bolton to show up, because they were both very big in the 90s. But she's just having this most... She's just being completely... Uh, a sensual being, apparently just for herself. I don't think she knows uh, Nick's uh, being a creep in the in the tree, but who knows? Maybe she she probably gets quite a number of weirdos just climbing up that tree, if you think about it, because it is it does look like a very easy tree to climb, and she has a, a very big uh, window, like a picturesque window to look through, and apparently she's always just doing what she's doing. And she's basically also, you get a sense that she's a bit of an alcoholic herself. She's making herself drinks. 
And the thing that really amused me was there was like the world's largest bottle of Rose's lime juice, which ends up being a plot point. They did it on purpose, but I just, I was so amused that that bottle was there and it was like, it's bigger than the alcohol bottles, but she's got the specific drink she likes of vodka, the lime juice and uh, pomegranates. And it's like, where is the wind machine coming, blowing all these drapes around? And, and like, she's just, I get it. You're really the hottest woman on earth. You're allowed to be like slow motion sensual at all times, but like, who's, who's showing up? Uh, and it's, it's not Dracula or, or Bolton. In fact, it's a wild card. You're never going to guess it. It is in fact, Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton shows up in rock and roll leather pants, clothes, totally amazing. I'd be like, whoa, that's, that's pretty cool, uh, Paxton. But in fact, for, for Nick and his situation, it just sends him into utter madness he gets down out of that tree and he just starts running through the rain starts. He's like controlling the, the weather with his uh, crazy emotions and the full on the shot of him running. It's a full on shot. He just looks with his pained expression. It's just classic uh, bonker cinema. You've got you've got to see if it's not a gif already, it should be. And he's just running. He, he doesn't know what he, where he's going. You can see, you can see the, the wild wildness in his eyes. But he ends up, again, at a payphone. He's in a deep crisis. And uh, Garfunkel's his point man on this. And he's like, Larry, you got to help me. And and Garfunkel's like, what? You were fine earlier. Which was, it's that's a bit of a lie. But in, in his position, what are you, you going to say? But Nick, he, he he's not just that he wants uh, help. He wants to get Helena back. And it's like, this, after seeing, after witnessing what you just saw, that should be the last thing. But of course, we wouldn't have a movie. So Garfunkel's got to lay down the law and say, "Stay away from her. You just had a one-night stand with her. Just stay away." Which I guess means if if you just had a one-night stand with her, then you never actually had her to get back. But that's again a minor point. So what does Nick do? He goes to a florist, and he walks in, and, he, and you can tell he's been in, he's done this a long, lot of times. And you're expecting uh, the florist to say, you're my favorite customer. But he basically orders a bunch of flowers. And it's basically an invitation. He's going to invite her to a party, which he's just promptly thinking up on the spot because he wants to get her uh, to come over. And this is a really simpin way of doing that. And not only that, after he does all that, he he gets in his car and drives back to outside Helena's uh, apartment and just falls asleep there. Now, this is the whole time Anne has been at home making dinner. And she just ends up wrapping it up. It's very sad seeing the montage of her wrapping up the dinner. And then she falls asleep on the couch. And Nick, he finally snaps out of it and he goes back. And anyway, he, he goes home. He sees Anne's asleep. So he's like, oh, I got one more bit of crazy stalking action I can pull off then. So he calls Helena and just kind of breathes into the phone and says nothing. And then that's it. Now, when he called, uh, Paxton, uh, whose name's Ray and, uh, Helena, they were bone zoning still. And basically I think she answered the phone because her phone has the most annoying ring ever. And so once, once, uh, she gets hung up on by this mysterious caller, she just flies into a rage with no perspective. And she's just like, that's so rude. I can't believe someone would hang up on me. And she's, she's really into, um, you know, she doesn't really like people being discourteous on the phone, apparently. And this 
of course, just transfers onto Ray. She just starts uh, belittling Ray after this, saying, you know, get out of here. You can't stay. And, you know, things seemed pretty okay until that one momentous moment. And this is where this is why it's so good that they cast Paxton in this role, because he's so good as like the kind of douchey, like guy you could still it doesn't matter what he says or what ridiculous predicaments in you you're still like on his side and it's like just an amazing performance it's something like anyone else this would probably fall flat but it's engaging because it's paxton so uh r.i.p paxton you're you're we didn't we didn't appreciate you enough even though i tried to appreciate you as much as possible but once he's tried to bluff his way back inside her like 10 different ways and he realizes it's not going to work he basically just like, okay, well, fuck it. I'm going to go to my club and I'm going to get laid. He's he's basically, he's read his pickup artist manuals and he knows you got to demonstrate value. You got to not act uh, act like a simp and try to, you know, salvage as much dignity as you possibly can while wearing leather pants. That's, I mean, this should be obvious, but people have written books about this. Um, so she asks, she's like, this is where you see Helene is kind of a, a bit of a self-absorbed person, you might say, because she's like, oh, I know what you can do if you're going out. Why don't you go get me some groceries, get me some more booze? And he's, he, like, scoffs at that. and But she ends up just uh, calling the store. And, you know, this is, you know, in, in this time of crisis in our modern times, we need to remember that the grocers, they're doing all the hard work. And this guy, he's an exemplary example this example from 1993 because she's able to get a delivery god knows what time of night this is uh but she orders you know her booze her roses lime juice and those pomegranates she's like freaking persephone over here and uh the guy he he remembers his order he's a very personable grocer he seems to have a relationship with all his customers he knows all of them on a first name basis and you're like hey maybe this minor character will have a have a have a callback uh, later on at some crucial point. Uh, but then we get, we, we're going to have the party now. So Nick had planned this party and that day, uh, Helene, it's the day after Helene is just casually lounging around being evil. And you know, the flowers are there with the little note and Ray comes in and apparently, I mean, I mean, it is, she is the hottest woman on earth. So he's going to try to salvage this and he he like uh, is full peacocking, trying to invite her to his his nightclub performance or whatever. I I don't know. Is he in a band? Is he running the show? I don't I don't remember this part. But it seems like if he's got those leather pants, he in that hair, he'd have a have a band. But anyway, she's just like turning him down. She's she knows his power game. She knows what's up, and she's just flatly turning him down. She says, "No, I've got a party tonight, and then I'm going to Mexico in the morning on a modeling job." And again, it's just great Paxton performance of him trying to like dominate her, but he just ends up getting kicked out. Um, and then, so that's that. And then the party starts. And uh, first, uh, Garfunkel shows up, Anne shows up, and this preppy friend who's we're not we're just being introduced now. He looks he's like Paul Rudd, but not Paul Rudd. Is this would have been a great a role for him? But then Helena shows up. And she's really cold and aloof. And, of course, Nick, he's just been waiting at the door for her this whole time. He starts following her around like a little puppy. And she's just, she couldn't be colder. And, I mean, I, it's it's so bad. At one point he says, you know, my mom died last week, but I'm fine. 
And she is just walking right past him, not even acknowledging him. I mean, it's very cold. And meanwhile, like Anne's friend is saying, oh, I think he's going to propose to you. So there's a lot of there's a lot of short sighted uh, simplicity in a lot of these people. Uh, But then uh, Helena sees not Paul Rudd and she starts talking to him and then they end up getting a drink and she lets her. And by the way, of course, Nick is staring at him creepily from across the way and so at one point she's there by this fountain, this big fountain, and she just lets her hair down, starts stepping out of her clothes, and then jumps into the fountain. It's like a real eight and a half thing or whatever that movie was, uh, Dolce Vita. And then uh, this causes like the whole world to turn into like sensual slow mo, which is great because that's just at the point where Garfunkel pops up into frame as everything starts going in slow motion. It's pretty hilarious. And then there's just like of course. Everybody's watching, like, uh, Hottest Woman Ever, just having this, like, crazy, uh, you know, sensual, impromptu uh, music video or whatever. At this point, you, you know, anyone would be like, okay, Helena, you're hot. Can we just move on? Can we get past this? No, it's just really bad. So Garfunkel and Anne have to have an intervention with Nick. And they've got him in in his office, and they're trying to talk some sense into him, which, of course, isn't going to happen. And then not Paul Rudd pops into the uh, doorframe and says, hey, I'm going to go take off with Helena now. Isn't that lucky of me? Uh, it's not nothing nothing weird with that, is there? And, you know, Nick is just seething, but he's got to try to play it off, which he doesn't play it off at all. Uh, he's just obviously just totally crushed by this news. And he ends up calling Anne Helena. Anne walks out. I just did it myself. Anne walks out. And then... It's great. Uh, Helena's just got to have that one last stab uh, with the ice pick where she, as she's walking out with not Paul Rudd, she's like, hey, Nick, thanks for the flowers. And, and she like gives him the sensual look backwards. And it triggers like this memory of it. First of all, this, this scene is of her walking out. It looks just like that shot, that sequence in the beyond when uh, the blind girl runs out because it has to deal with like memory and recurrence and stuff and nick's getting this memory of the first time he saw helena introducing herself it's pretty great so that could have been everything except for one little twist which was that helena forgot her purse and so she leaves she calls uh old dr nick there and leaves a message saying okay i'm gonna be at the airport i'm leaving for mexico please meet me at this terminal at this time and, of course, Nick, he's way ahead of her because he's, like, cradling the purse in her arms. And he's, like, a real weirdo. And so he's at the airport the next day, but he's just sitting in his car waiting at the completely wrong place, uh, knowing that eventually she's going to have to come out look for him, which she does. And he's, like, trying to, like, track her in, in his side view mirror. And it's just such a symbolic, perfectly symbolic uh, little, little moment because... You know, he's trying to, like, watch her in the rearview mirror. When she comes up upon him from behind, she still surprises him. And he's still, like, totally uh, flabbergasted. And she's just start berating him. And this time you can't even blame her because, like, this is just a real nutcase. Being being weird and and fucking up all her plans. But uh, he basically, he's like, okay, here's the purse, but... uh, you know, why don't you have dinner? Why don't you stay here? You know, like things that are obviously not going to work. But as she's looking through her purse, she realizes the address book is gone. And she's like, where's the address book, stupid? 
And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but if you want to come back to my place, maybe you can look for it and you'll find it. So I'm sure that was a real uh, pleasant car ride over back to his place. And he's still just trying, hope beyond hope, just will not give up, trying to like stab his way into her heart. And she's like, Nick, wasn't last night enough to show you that I want nothing to do with you? So basically, it it was a it wasn't spontaneous on her part. It was a plan, and what a great plan, Helena! I know. It's like, how do I get rid of this creepy weirdo with emotional problems and an obsession with me? I know. I'll just sensually tease him and torment him and, at his own party with his with his friend. That that'll get rid of him, sure. So in a way, she's kind of made her own bed with this. Uh, but you know, when they get as as she's looking around the house, you know, you do see, like, he does have the Venus de Milo just sitting around his house. So, I mean, that that is a pretty alpha move just to have this priceless an- antique there. But, uh, you know, of course, that doesn't really make up for all the other stuff. And she just keeps on belittling him. She's like, did, you, did your mother die in this house? She's really going for the mother stuff. There's a bit of a bit of a connection, you might say. And it's just, it's, this is a very cringe, cringe uh, moment. And he's like trying to, he has this table set and he's trying to pour her wine, get her to drink. And then he offers her some food and he lifts the silver platter thing up. And of course, what's under there? But the address book. And this was supposed to be like the most adorable payoff to something in his mind. And she is just furious. And if you think about it, she would be so pissed, like you couldn't even demonstrated on the screen how pissed off she would be if this were really happening to her so she just grabs her stuff and she's just gonna i guess walk back to the airport it's like this is just so beyond everything i mean it's but it's it's just too much it's too much but she walks out on the street and as soon as she walks in the street it's the most this is there's the most deliberate being run over car thing in history it's uh, like this red bronco just drives out in the street gunning for her like uh she, like it knew she was coming and just takes her out. There's some even some like uh, gore in it. It's pretty well done. It's just something about it. It has that indefinable like weirdness that it, it's almost like David Lynch shot it. It could totally fit into a David Lynch movie. It's just something about it. I don't know uh, how to explain it, but if you see it, you'll see it. Uh, so there's this accident. Like what's going to happen? What 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 did happen? Uh, but we dissolve. Uh, there's some time passes, and then. Who uh, Kurt Kurtwood Smith shows up at Nick's door, and well, actually, I guess before that he had uh, he he was in the hospital, and he would he had overheard Anne talking with like the hospital director about like well Nick hasn't shown up to work he's probably gonna leave we're gonna need to pick a successor I wonder if he could uh, give us a recommendation so that's what makes Kurt would go to Nick's house because he wants to get that recommendation, and so of course he's knocking on the door he's not really uh getting in so he just kind of sidles himself in and starts talking to nick and of course i mean nick's weird but i mean how's that any different from any other time but uh basically uh he ends up seeing that helena's there and she has no legs she's in bed she's drugged this is a real weird uh, situation and you know nick nick's got like that jeffrey dahmer charm or something he's able to like explain away this crazy situation and he offers Kurtwood the bribe of like, okay, I'll recommend you to be the head surgeon. And that just kind of makes everything go away. 
and when and so Kurtwood leaves, and then when Helena starts coming out of her drug coma or whatever, of course she starts freaking out. She doesn't have any legs. It's this insane situation, and Nick brings her like this changeling style wheelchair, and he's like, "Okay, here's your new life." Uh, as you can imagine, there's going to be tension there, and he, and she's like being rather defiant about this whole uh, slavery enslavement uh, prison imprisonment thing, and so he puts her in the wheelchair. And the rain starts raining again, and he wheels her out onto the balcony and says, oh, you want to scream? Scream! Uh, and he starts screaming as well. It's just like the the scene in Creep Show with Leslie Nielsen. And so, you know, that's Nick's power. That She's isolated. So then she has to, you know, exercise what she can use for control. And she starts uh, belittling him and their sexual past. And, you know, she's like, I, I never came with you. And, you know, he, again, this is something, if he if only he had perspective, he'd be like, oh, you never came? Well, I glued your eyes, eyes shut. So, I mean, who cares? You're hot. Uh, but, you know, of course it works on him. Maybe neither attitude is great, but with with one, you don't end up sawing someone's legs off, is what I'm saying. That's, that's you know, the, the triage, the best of a bad situation. But, you know, again, Nick's got those issues, those obsessive issues. And so basically Ray, he's still into Helena. So he, he's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay on the case. I'm going to figure this out because I don't think she left for Mexico. And she ends up, he ends up going to this grocery store. He asks the grocer, who knows him by name. Uh, he's, again, that personable grocer touch. And he, he uh, asks him to be on the lookout for Helena. And, you know, again, grocers and doctors. Those are our live our lifelines these days. So, this this movie ends up being very uh, of of you know reflective of our times, especially with the whole being imprisoned inside thing as well. Uh, so then Anne's gonna come in. Anne starts. Uh, Anne shows up at Nick's mansion, and she lets herself in because she's got the key. And Helena tries to you know uh, alert alert her that you know she's a prisoner in this house, but she gets gagged. Uh, she gets put in the side room, and she can kind of see in. And Anne's, you know, she's concerned, of course, about Nick, and she starts uh, babying him and starts seducing him. And it doesn't go well, basically. He doesn't even get out of his pants, and there's a there's an incident. And, of course, she's, of course, being the good girl that Anne is, she's just very understanding, and it's like, it's okay, this happens. It's not a problem at all. Let's just... Uh, take a moment and we'll we'll have we'll salvage this uh, just like we salvaged our crazy relationship so far but this I mean he's just really pissed off because he, he knows that uh, Helena was watching so he's just extra pissed and just throws Anne out and she's like you know really devastated by this and as she's leaving uh, he, he's like looking out the door and he sees he sees the most hilarious thing it's it's uh, Paxton still I think he's still in his leather pants He's spying on them, so obviously he's suspicious that this this guy might have something to do with Helena's disappearance. So Nick, he just pretends he doesn't see him, and then he's, he's going to do a little bit of scheming. He's going to order some flowers and send them to Helena's apartment. That way, it looks like he doesn't know where she's at either. And then, of course, Ray will show up and see those flowers and read the note. And then Nick goes back to Helena... And, of course, Helena, that premature ejacul ejaculation did not go unnoticed by Helena. 
And so she starts bringing that up, as you might think. And Nick, he's got kind of a weak sauce reply. He's like, well, I mean, if you were a real woman, you'd lie about that sort of thing. And she's like, bruh, that's for people I like. I hate you. You cut off my legs. And this just, it ends up coming to a fevered pitch where something's going to have to happen. Nick's going to have to have some sort of something, some sort of catharsis. And, you know, he's he doesn't know exactly what to do. He's, like, looking at her pictures. He's watching her video in the fountain. Apparently, there was videotape of this. And there's just this, you know, as much as she, like, yells at him and everything, there's this strange calm that comes over him for a little while. And then you cut to where, uh, again, he's just jumping rope. He's got this, these crazy uh, weighted vest thing he's wearing. It looks not great. And then there's the reveal. He's done, he's done, took, taken her arms off. The next phase has begun. And now Helena is literally on a pedestal and she's a stump. The, um, the emotions, you know, they're going to start running a little high. And, um, she's, again, she takes it, you almost can't demonstrate how angry this woman, this crazy enraged woman would be at this legitimate injustice being done to her. Uh, you couldn't, you couldn't uh, put it on screen how angry she'd be. So she's just like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. None of this changes anything. You fucking piece of shit. And uh, Nick, he just... Well, I mean, first of all, now he can't have his eyes scratched out, so he just puts his uh, his head in her lap. And the nature of reality, it starts to get a little rubbery here. We don't know exactly what's objective truth and what's not. Because he starts, like, downloading all this sensual information. Like, probably from her vag, because he's got his head on her lap. But... He, there's like this sequence of like this is definitely a fantasy sequence where now she has her arms and legs back and she's not mad at him which is obviously not real and she just starts uh telling him all these secrets to uh pleasing a woman and she's very sweet and uh very nice about it and of course what does that mean cue the enigma enigma the uh, sadness starts playing and in is brought home this sensual lady in pearls and in uh, black clothes and He's, he's going to uh, give her some wine by the fire, and they're going to get it on. And Helena's watching from another room, and it's just all very, uh, again, very music, very 90s music video. And he actually does a good job. He's, he listened to Helena, and he, he did all the tips, and, uh, and he did a good job. And so who shows up but not Paul Rudd? He, he, but he's only there, which is very weird, but he's just giving, her, giving him uh, Helena's scarf is like the trophy, like passing the mantle on to him. And so, you know, now that he's not a turbo simp, he actually has a chance with Helena. All he had to do was dismember her and uh, whatever else, whatever crazy drugs he was pumping her and, and just ruining everyone's life. That's all he had to do. But it's finally starting to pay off. And, you know, you got to feel good for the guy or, or not. And she finally comes around to him and they, they fall in love and you're like, no, I want to do nothing but downfall and defeat for this guy. But uh, no, it, it, it worked. He proved, he proved the entire audience wrong with his very long plan here. And, you know, now they're a couple. I mean, couple of what? We don't know. But they are, for better or for worse, in love. But don't get too worried, because he is, of course, going to fuck this all up. Because he calls in an order to the grocer... And he orders Helena's unique order. So the grocer knows, oh, this guy knows, this guy's got her. And so Ray comes over 
again, fighting for battle in those leather pants. He also has a gun, and he starts beating up Nick and uh, saying, Oh, Helena, she was beautiful. What did you do to her? And, you know, it's this real weird, I don't know, thing. But uh, he's basically got uh, Julian or uh, Julian Sands and Nick, Dr. Nick within an inch of his life when all of a sudden Dr. Nick wakes up. Yes, you're right. This has all been a dream. It was a dream, guys. It was a dream. And it's what happened was uh, Nick fell asleep. Every, everything up to the car crash was real. And then now we're in the hospital. Nick's been sleeping in a chair, dreaming up, you know, an unbroken chain of events where he also apparently dreamed, uh, you know, scenes that did not involve him, which is something that movies always do and is always maddening. Uh, But the point is that he did not saw off her legs. He did not imprison her. He did the right thing and called the ambulance and they basically saved Helena's life, and she'll still go on to be uh, beautiful, sexy Helena, d- devouring men without uh, a care or a-, a sweat on her porcelain skin. And as for Dr. Nick, it's a little more ambiguous. He's clearly changed, but how much? And is he? And he's still clearly haunted by his mom slash Helena. I don't. I don't think he and Anne get back together. I'm not sure. There is one scene where, um, the, the elevator opens and out walks the mystery woman, uh, the, the sexy, sensual, uh, seduction woman in a uh, doctor's clothes. So apparently she also was, uh, on staff at this hospital and it's just a very ambiguous ending as far as, you know, what, what have we learned? And you know what? I don't know if we need to learn anything because it was just such a fun ride. Uh, I loved all the characters. I loved the plot twists. Of course, Sherilyn Finn, absolutely immaculate uh, the way they shot her. Like, they knew, like, that's kind of the key. Like, they said other actresses were going to play this role. But I don't, I can't picture anyone doing it uh, any justice besides Sherilyn Finn, especially at that time. So this is, you know, again, this kind of hidden gem that I think more people would like if they uh, got exposed to it. And the, one of the funny things, one of the funny reasons I think that this movie is isn't as well known is because I've never seen one of these hacky, uh, you know, like family guy things, uh, like do a parody of it. So for me, that tells me that it is not, uh, hit the consciousness of the masses. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's better that way. Maybe it's better if that never happens. And this just remains, uh, an obscure little gem. And I think uh, having it, uh, featured on this podcast, I think, uh, also helps it uh, stay in obscurity, but we, the enlightened few, uh, who who have superior taste about products know the truth. So stop simping, everybody, and live in the real world. <laughs>